I had thought about some of the, uh, the things that make their way into church bulletins and newsletters. Fortunately, our bulletins and newsletters are pretty much error-free because we have conscientious people that put those together, but, but not every church has that. And uh, you probably come across these things yourself, some of the, the famous church bloopers. Uh, and uh, I recently came across a few more I hadn't heard. And I thought maybe that'd be good to share with you. And, and believe it or not, it does tie into what we're going to do here in just a minute. But uh, anyway, these are some things that, that got into church bulletins and, and newsletters that, that probably shouldn't have been there. But anyway, there was an announcement once in a church bulletin for a national day of prayer and fasting a conference, and the announcement itself said that the cost for attending the fasting and prayer conference includes meals. <laughs> so, makes you wonder. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around a house. Don't forget your husbands. <laughs> I really like this one. The peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. Next Thursday, there will be tryouts for the choir. They need all the help they can get. Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She's also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Jack's sermons. <laughs> Insert my name there, yeah. And I like this one. Here's, here's one church's view of marriage, apparently. Irving Benson and Jesse Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days. <laughs> so anyway, things that made it into bulletins that really shouldn't have. I say that to say I'm glad our Bibles do not contain the kinds of mistakes that often get into the bulletins of the churches that are supposedly based on the Bible. But there is one punctuation that is very controversial, has been for years, wondering did this really belong there, and does it belong where it is placed, and uh, that is the verse in focus here this morning, the words of Jesus on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 43, where Jesus speaks to a thief being crucified, and he says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Of course, we've been looking the last few weeks at some of the I tell you the truth statements of Jesus. And so I thought, well, we need to include that one because it is a very significant statement. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Most of our English translations put the comma, as I have just read it, after the word truth. And so the statement sounds like Jesus is saying, I tell you solemnly the truth. You're going to be with me today in paradise. Again, nearly every English Bible translation places the comma after the word today. But you know, where you put that comma makes a world of difference. Let me read it to you another way. I tell you the truth today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. That sounds totally different than to say I tell you the truth today, you'll be with me in paradise. And so it's a fair question to say, where's the comma go? And the reason I raise that question is because in the original language, in the Greek language, they didn't have punctuation. So it falls down to English translators to arbitrarily decide where they need to place punctuation. And so nearly all of them have placed the punctuation as you read it before you after the word today. 
but does it truly belong there? Doing a little bit of research, here's some things that we found. And the first one, I qualify because it's not always the most reliable source, but it does say something interesting. The internet site, Wikipedia, and there is some controversy with that. It is not always the most accurate source, so you take what you find there with a grain of salt. But it has this concerning Luke chapter 23, verse 43 that we're looking at today. It says, the punctuation shown in the rendering of these words depends on the translator's understanding of the sense of Jesus' words, since no punctuation was used in the original Greek text. Punctuation in the modern style did not become common until about the ninth century. Okay, so, you know, unless we were part of the audience there that day watching Jesus to be crucified, knowing where, where he sort of put that comma as he spoke the words, it's not known because, again, it wasn't until about the ninth century that they began to put the punctuation in there. Interesting, there is a Roman Catholic Vatican manuscript dating back to the year uh, 1209 in which they don't put any punctuation in at all. And so you just simply read that statement of Jesus on the cross and you decide if you're going to put a comma and, and where you're going to put it. It doesn't have one at all. There is another source that says at least from the 4th century until well into the 12th century there were readers who understood the text at Luke 23, 43 as, Truly I tell you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Interesting. Another source says that whereas many translations place a comma before the word today and, and therefore give the impression that the thief entered paradise that same day, note this, this uh, commentator says there is nothing in the rest of Scripture to support this. Jesus himself was dead and in the tomb until the third day and was then resurrected as, quote, the first fruits of the resurrection. He ascended to heaven 40 days later. There is a 5th century text that renders this verse this way. Amen, I say to thee today, that with me thou shalt be in the garden of Eden. That doesn't make a lot of sense to our way of thinking. Which is interesting, what does the word paradise mean that's used in that verse? We often think that paradise is synonymous with heaven. So Jesus says to the thief, I tell you today, you're going to be with me in heaven. But is paradise an accurate word for the word heaven, as many people understand it? Paradise literally means park or garden. And it does refer to the Garden of Eden. And so then if you, you put that there and think about it, then Jesus says to the thief, I tell you the truth today, you'll be with me in the Garden of Eden. That doesn't make too much sense. The Garden of Eden, it doesn't even exist now. So what is it exactly that he's saying? And of course that idea of paradise and what, what he said to the thief, Revelation 2 verse 7, interesting, Jesus says to him who overcomes, as he writes to one of the churches, he says, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. So again, what is the sense of what Jesus is talking about? What's the time of the paradise, the garden that Jesus talks about? What exactly is he promising to the thief who is dying on the cross at the same time when Jesus is being crucified? There's plenty of evidence elsewhere in Scripture to give us an answer. I'm thinking of Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus talks about future events. We won't be turning to this passage, but I give it to you as a reference to look at on your own. Verses 29 to 31, Jesus talks about His coming and He talks about that paradise being connected with the end of the age. And so something much into the future. 
And so there's some real clarification there concerning that. So what Jesus is promising to the thief on the cross doesn't make a lot of sense. He's talking about something that very day, but that very day apparently talking about something much into the future. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, that talks about some things that happen at the end of the blowing of the seventh trumpet. There are seven trumpets blown in, uh, in the book of Revelation. The final trumpet, it says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And so at that time in the future, the kingdoms of this age, the governments of this age are turned over to Christ and to the people of God. And that seems to be the beginning of the great paradise that Jesus talks about as he addresses the thief on the cross that day. You know, in fact, if we really want to make a lot of sense of what Jesus said to that thief, we need to go back to what it was he was asking in the first place. And uh, it is interesting to take a look at the question that is being raised by the thief as he is dying upon the cross. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom or come into your kingdom. And so he probably had a pretty good idea of who Jesus was, of the fact that he was king of a kingdom, leader of a government. And he's talking about in the future as he's facing death, Jesus, I understand who you are. Remember me on that day when you come into your kingdom. And so he seemed like he had it all figured out himself. It's kind of unfortunate there's been so much confusion ever since. But he understood there would be a time in the future when Jesus would come in a government and lead that government. He said, when that time comes, please remember me at that time. So again, I think the statement we look at here, the comma's in the wrong place. I mean, it's kind of unsettling to say the Bible's wrong, but our translations in English perhaps are. So you might want to, in your Bible, circle that little comma in that verse and put a question mark by it. Because at best, we can't be certain that it belongs there. And it seems like there's a lot of evidence to say it ought to be moved to where Jesus is saying, I tell you the truth today. I solemnly promise to you today, on that day when I come into my paradise, you'll join me. And so he extended a tremendous promise to him. And I want to bring that down to us this morning because I think it's important to, to think about his words and what they mean to us. They were absolutely significant words to that thief who was dying, but these are words that come down 2,000 years later to each one of us. We are made the same promise today that we will be with Christ in his paradise when he comes. Amen? Revelation 5, verse 9. It says, you were slain, referring to Jesus, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Fantastic promise. He's in the process of purchasing people throughout the ages, all the nations, all the four corners of the earth purchasing as many as are willing to receive him and believe in him. He's purchasing a people, preparing them to reign upon the earth with him. We believe that and we are encouraged by that. And what a phenomenal promise. We will be with Christ in the paradise of God when he comes. Psalm 115, verse 16. It says, The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. It's a verse I just kind of recently got reacquainted with and thought about the promise of that. The heavens belong to God, Lord God Almighty. 
but the earth has been given to the sons of men. This is ours. We get the real estate. It's in kind of sad shape right now. It's going to get in worse shape. You think the Gulf oil spills bad. Read Revelation. You'll find out there's a lot of other things going to happen. It's going to be in horrible shape, but it gets fixed. That's the great mystery of God, is the fact that this world gets cleaned up. The governments are overthrown. We get to be the new government. We get it all in perfection. That's encouraging. That is a phenomenal promise. So the heavens belong to the Lord, but He's given us the earth. It's ours. We get an earthly paradise. We get to rule it. We get to enjoy it. And we live for that. I've, I've quoted this writer before, but Randy Alcorn, who has written a book entitled Heaven, which when I first heard of it, I didn't pay much attention because I thought it was the pie-in-the-sky reward thing. But I, uh, I, it was pointed out to me that that's not his understanding of heaven. Uh, he gives a very interesting definition. He says the human realm on earth is heaven. The dwelling place of God will be the dwelling place of humanity. Rather than our going up to live in God's home forever, God will come down to live in our home forever. And uh, that lines up so well with Scripture. That is so encouraging. We are of the earth. Our destiny is tied with the earth. We can relate to that. As we enjoy life in this age, we think how much better it will be to walk this planet when it's made new. So he understands that, and he's written a book about it. But he's got a section that is entitled, A Life That Gets Us Ready. And these are things that get my attention. You know, I've shared it before. It's good to be arrow straight with our, quote, theology. That's good, but that in itself is not a worthy end in itself. What's it mean to me? And so if the, if the scriptures teach that we get the earth, well, what's that mean? What does that mean to me? And what about my life now? What's that say about my life now? I like his words on the subject, and I want to share them with you this morning. He says this, if my wedding date is on the calendar, and I'm thinking of the person I'm going to marry, I shouldn't be an easy target for seduction. Likewise, when I'm meditating on the kingdom, sin is terribly unappealing. The kingdom, he says, and I'm substituting kingdom for heaven because I know what he means by it, but to clarify it here, the kingdom should affect our activities and ambitions, our recreation and friendships, and the way we spend our money and time. Following Christ is not a call to abstain from gratification, but to delay gratification. I like that, because isn't there that stereotype that Christians are people that just don't have fun? You know, it's all about you can't do this, you can't do that, da 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 No, it's not about that. You don't do those things now because you're holding out for the ultimate gratification in the age to come. So uh, I, I like his comment there. To be kingdom-oriented, he says, is to be goal-oriented, in the best sense. Maybe that one rings especially true with me. This thing gives purpose. This paradise that Jesus promised the thief, that He's promised to all of us, it gives us a goal like nothing else can. That's what's exciting about it. We've got a direction. There's purpose in our lives. Talk about being a purpose-driven people. The kingdom of God, the paradise of God, gives you purpose. Because all of life is getting ready to rule the world with Christ when He comes back. So whatever we're doing gets us ready for that. Those things that may not seem like much fun in this age, the, uh, the work and the disciplines and, and all those, those things are preparing us. They, they tie into the goal that is before us, and that is certainly very, very important. He says, thinking of the kingdom will motivate us to live each day in profound thankfulness to God. I like that. Aren't we just immensely thankful? 
because we who really are nothing have been given the most phenomenal promises in the world. He has selected us out of this world, out of the mass of humanity, and He said, I want you to be my government. I want you to rule the world with me. That is a phenomenal promise, and so we are immensely thankful to the God who set the plan in place, who appointed His Son Jesus to rule it, and to, and to bring people together into that whole thing, and, and to say, I'm privileged to be part of that. I'm, I'm so very, very thankful. And to come together like this and to be reminded of that this day, we are profoundly thankful because we have a purpose beyond any possible purpose anyone else could have in the world. Alcorn says that the most ordinary moment in the kingdom will be greater than the most perfect moments in this life. Those experiences that you wanted to bottle or hang on to but couldn't in this age. Now that I like a lot. Because a lot of times we're thinking, what's the paradise going to be like? What's the kingdom going to be like? I'm not sure I want to be, you know, if you want to get honest, you know, don't we think, I'm not sure I want to be in it. Because I just don't know what it is. It's an unknown. This life is not perfect, but I know this life. And I, I savor certain things in this life. And so to make the leap to go from this age to an age that's barely able to be described, there's almost a sense of, I think I'll hang on to the imperfect age now. Even though I know the age to come, I, in my mind, I, I want to be there, but there's something that, that holds me back. No, I think to think in the terms is what he just mentioned. Whatever the, the greatest moments in this life are, bottle them up. Those things that you want to bottle up and keep for the rainy day or the depressing day or whatever. Whatever those rare moments are, that's, that's just nothing compared to the age to come. It overflows with things that far exceed those moments we would bottle up and hang on to now. And so I like his words because I relate to those. It's, it's a leap of faith. It is. The age to come is an unknown, but it's got to be better than this age, doesn't it? Because isn't there so much heartache and disappointment? And there are bright spots in this age, but if this is it, there's got to be something better. There's got to be something more, and there is something phenomenally better and that's what we embrace and that's what we declare that we take the same message that Jesus gave the same promise he gave to that thief dying on the cross I most assuredly tell you by faith you will be with me in the paradise when I come into my kingdom again that reverberates down through the ages down to us today and that is a rich promise we will be with him in the paradise that is to come Again, I wanted to just focus on those words. Again, not so much to get the comma straight in the verse. I think that is important. And I think getting the comma straight gets the promise straight. But I wanted us to just focus for a moment on the, the, the actual promise itself and savor that. I think we need that. I was thinking about the times we live in. We live in difficult times, don't we? These are challenging times. More challenging than they were a couple of years ago, three years ago, five years ago. There, there's so many things that have an adverse effect upon us. I think about the economic times in itself. The economic times have had quite an effect, I would dare say, on all of us to some extent, some certainly much more so than others. I was thinking about the congregation of Lakeshore and thinking about the, the, the personal struggles. And I look at the prayer list and I think of different ones of you that are battling cancer and different ones that are battling serious illnesses. And I was thinking about, doesn't this mean something to those of you in that situation? I tell you, you will be with me in the paradise of God. I think that it must and that it does. I was thinking about issues of loneliness 
I was thinking about just general setbacks and disappointments that life offers. For those things, that's what this promise is for. Not just the thief dying on a cross, but all who would come in faith and embrace that Christ. Behold, I say to you, you will be with me in the paradise of God. We need that hope. We desperately need that hope. I think that the promise of an earthly paradise in the age to come is the only real lifeline we got to hang on to. It really is. There is nothing else to hang on to aside this. Life through Christ in the age to come. Everything else disappoints. This alone is a lifeline that we hang on to. Without it, we have absolutely nothing. With it, we absolutely have everything. And I, and I just had to come back to this aspect of the hope that it offers because I love to talk about the kingdom of God. You know that. But, you know, I think that sometimes in talking about it as a theological thing, I wonder if we focus, if I focus enough upon the fact of its hope, its comfort, and the purpose that it brings to us. I hope that message comes across loud and clear because that's really why I love to focus on it is because it offers all those things for us as we go through this age with our eyes focused on that age which is to come. I, I often think of Paul's words in the book of Acts chapter 14 where he and his traveling companions return to visit all the churches that they helped to start. And it says in verse 22 that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I often think of that as kind of ironic. Because if you're going to encourage someone, do you say through many tri tribulations and difficulties we enter the kingdom of God? It doesn't sound terribly encouraging, but realistically we know it is. We know that the paradise to come that Jesus has offered to us, it isn't easy to get there. There are tribulations and challenges and difficulties along the way. And so we're reminded that it's, it's not cakewalk time to get into the kingdom of God. It's not easy to get in. That it's a difficult thing that requires perseverance but we're willing to do that, aren't we? We're willing to persevere because we know the goal before us, the paradise of God, is worth it. You lose sight of that, you give up on the whole thing and say, forget it. There's got to be an easier way in life. But we come back to that hope and that message time and again because that is the goal that's fixed before us just as surely as I look at an object in the back of the church and could walk toward it such as it is with the kingdom of God, the paradise of God. That is in focus, and whatever along the way might be a challenge, I don't lose sight of the fact that that is there, that's what I'm headed to, and I want nothing to deter me from that. And so that's the goal, is to march on toward the paradise of God that Jesus promised to that thief on the cross. I, I think again about Jesus' words. Words of assurance to a dying criminal that Jesus spoke himself in his darkest hour. You really savor his words when you think about the context of, of when he spoke them. He himself was dying. He was in the throes of death. He himself was moments away from death. And yet the, in that time he could speak with confidence to that criminal beside him and say, I say this with assurance. You're going to be with me in the paradise to come. I would wonder if there was a moment to have some doubts. For Jesus himself, it's in the last moments. You know, I think I got all this straight from God my Father, but I'm about to die. Is He going to bring me back to life? You know, I'm, I'm sure He didn't really have to deal with that so much, but I'm thinking myself, what would be going on in my mind? Wouldn't it seem like a prime time to have some doubts and some concerns yourself, even, even the pain of what He was going through, but yet out of the agony 
of the death throes that he was in, he spoke of the hope of the kingdom of God amidst that great agony. I just think there's a lesson and a thought from that about how hope shines the brightest amidst the darkest times. Even in that time, of the darkest time in Jesus' life, yet that hope was there, hope that he would speak to someone else. And again, I think that itself comes down to us. The more that we hurt, the more that we are disappointed in this age, again, the more that we focus on that real source of hope and that real source of help. I just had a great desire this morning to make it as personal as possible as I thought about these words and I thought about our great hope and promise and I've listed a question on your outline this morning and I hope that you will take time to be very, very honest and very, very specific about it and set aside some time to really focus on the question and think about the circumstances of your own life as you ask the question, what does the promise of the coming earthly paradise truly mean to me today? And again, don't just put a, some kind of pat answer down, but I mean really, really grapple with that. Thinking about, this is what's going on in my life. This is my struggle right now, or this is my joy right now, or, or, or these are the circumstances of my life. What does the promise of this coming earthly paradise truly mean to me today? I think we've got to revisit a question like that on a regular basis, because it keeps the goal in focus. We dare not lose sight of the goal. We've got to keep that before us always as we go through the challenges that this life has for us. So again, may the words of hope and encouragement that Jesus offered that thief 2,000 years ago, may those words come through to us and encourage us and strengthen us today. Truly, I say to you today, will be with me in my paradise.